dream big, that thing that you want to do to help others, that itch, that's God's proof to you. Fear has a very concrete power of keeping us from doing our purpose. But people who are running toward their dreams, life has a special kind of meaning. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Hi, friends. Good to see everybody. Uh, welcome to everyone. Uh, uh, welcome to our Bell Aliens, as we call them, and our Edgewoodians, and our Abingdonians, and our Mountain Rodians, and I guess our, our Mountain Online folk as well. We've got uh, joining us today is Jerry and Jen, who are at work today, Brittany and Joppa, Mike and Middle River, wherever we are, wherever you're from. Glad you're with us today. Hey, did everybody survive Snowmageddon? Okay, whole lot of panic, not much snow, but uh, it has been cold this winter, though. I was noticing, you know, on your phone, you, you, can, you can check in at temperatures around the different places. I saw this the other day. Check, check this out, how cold it was recently. That's pretty cold. And I got excited because I thought, now the Vikings can win the Super Bowl. Because, you know, hell froze is over. So anyway, it, it's been very cold in Minnesota on my phone. I also keep track of where our cabin is in northern Minnesota. This is what I read the other day. 39 below, it's like about 60 wind chill, my goodness, it was like, there, it was so cold, Minnesotans were putting on long pants, it was that cold, which reminds me of a story, uh, from the time that, uh, uh, before Carl and I were married, we went up to the cabin after Christmas, she got to go with our family one time, it was very cold, very snowy, but we uh, burrowed in by the fire, reminder now, that cabin is not winterized, which means no running water, which means... You don't go to the bathroom indoors. Okay, so you're tracking with me. All right. So we're exhausted sitting by the fire, and everybody decides to go to bed. Mom and Dad say they're going to bed, and I'm, well, I'm going to sleep on the couch by the fire. Someone's got to tend the fire, and Carla's going to go to bed, and so she says, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom first, which means a trip out to the outhouse. Now, I got a picture of this outhouse. I took it last summer, actually, with one of my little buddies up there, and you get a, isn't that a beaut? Just picture it now with about three feet of snow, really, really cold, and frost on the seat, and pitch dark, and you got the picture for Carla. She goes, um, she goes and puts on her big boots, and she thinks, so I'm only going to be out for a little bit so she doesn't grab a coat. And she grabs a flashlight and scurries out uh, and up the hill to the outhouse. Sadly, when Carla went into the outhouse, she opened the door in such a way that the latch when she closed the door, latched from the outside. And uh, she was on the inside. Um, shortly after that, her flashlight goes out, dies. So about the time she's starting to shiver, she's getting ready to run back inside and sit by the fire, she pushes on the door and it's locked. And of course she thinks it's a joke. I don't know why she thought it was a prank, but she's like, okay, not funny, Ben. And of course, um, then after a little bit, a little elevated, like, Okay, really not funny. Let me out of here. And then she figures out, he's not going to come and rescue me. <laughs> he doesn't even know. In fact, what she didn't know is that Ben was down fast asleep by the fire, cozily nestled in on the couch. And so that's when my girl took things into her own hands, or you could say feet. And like, some, like she'd been on some SWAT team kicking down doors her whole life, she just drop-kicked that door, bam, and she just busted that latch and crashed that door open and ran down the stairs into the cabin, woke me up, and we had a little chat. 
<laughs> my family loves to tell that story. My brothers really liked her better after that. And uh, that girl is a strong, strong girl. In fact, my parents took the latch and reassembled it into her Christmas gift the following year, put a little decorative bark and a little candle on top uh, for it, and we kept that as a wall hanging. I don't know which way it goes for a few years, but anyway, my, my, wife's, my wife is strong. I'm telling you, get out of her way. When she, gets, when she doesn't get what she wants, you know, that foot comes up, just do what she says, all right? So uh, one time Jesus had his disciples with him, and they were out in an outlying region called Caesarea Philippi, and he asked them, who do people say that I am? They fumbled around for some answers, and finally the bold one, Peter, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed that answer, and he said this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter, which means the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And he goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that I want to build. Jesus is casting a vision here. He's seeing something that no one else saw. Strong church, his church. A door-kicking church. First time anyone used that word church, at least in the New Testament, as we have it. And the word church simply means called out ones. It means the ones who say yes to Jesus, the ones who are, who are brave enough to say yes, trust Him, follow Him, and come together in this assembly to be a force in the world, to be a force to be reckoned with. To, to, because the, the, and the gates of hell, by the way, they refer to, not, not just as we would maybe typically think, but it refers to the realm of the dead. Anywhere there is dead. It's, yes, it's hell, but it's anywhere there's darkness. Where, where there is a lack of the love and the light and the hope of Jesus. And too many people live in that kind of a dark place, locked in behind, if you will, the gates of hell, in an outhouse of a life, separated from the love and the light of Christ. And Jesus kicked the tomb open, walked out, and he prevailed, and he passes that resurrection strength and power into little old you and me and says, now I'm going to build my church. Now you're the church, but it's my church. And if you do it that way, then you're going to have a kind of power to not just hide away in a bunch of buildings and sing some songs to each other, but to go on the offensive and to kick some doors down and march wherever there's a little bit of hell on earth so we can bring heaven on earth. But first, we've got to bring the love and the light and the power of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to have to kick down some doors. Jesus wants a strong church. And that means he wants a strong you. And we believe God's calling this church to get stronger. Stronger in our faith. And that means God's calling you to take a step forward in your faith. Every single one of us. Too many people are casually connected to Jesus, his church, the mission. This country is suffering because of a weakness in too many churches. People get stuck in their own lives. They, they casually connect to Jesus and they get stuck in stinky outhouses in their lives and they can't get out. They live in a dirt hole because they seem powerless to change and to grow and the church is weak and it isn't making the impact that it's needing to make. 3,500 churches will close their doors this year in this country, okay? 
Too many of them are plateaued or declining in spiritual strength and in numerical strength. Some of the things that you would typically expect to identify with the behavior of Christian people, when you compare the Christian, those who identify as Christ followers and compare them with the rest of society, there isn't that much of a difference. There's a lot of casually connected Christ. God is calling us to have a stronger church. That means he's calling you to be a stronger Christian. Are you ready to grow stronger in your faith? Are you ready to mature, to become more deeply acquainted with Christ? To become more solid, more stable, more reliable, more bold, more adventuresome, more obedient, more faithful as a follower. We've got a mission around here. Our mission, our mission has not changed. It comes right from Jesus. After he kicked down the door of the tomb, he said, now I've got some power and authority. I'm going to tell you here's what's what. I want you to make disciples. That's why we say our mission this way at Mountain. Our mission is to make disciples, help people come into a relationship with Jesus. More and better disciples. More refers to the process of leading someone into a relationship with Jesus, but we don't stop there. We want to keep going, help everyone get better, stronger as a disciple. And now, as Mountain, can you believe it? We're approaching our 200th anniversary. In the year 2024, we'll be 200 years old. And as we do, God is giving us a fresh vision for how to fulfill that mission, a fresh vision for how to fulfill that mission. He's calling us to dare to dream a little bit. Old churches need to dream about the future, and we are. And so a couple weeks ago, I invited you with me up in the bucket of the truck to get up high and to see out and, and, and to imagine what it would be like if we did that in our lives, to, if you dare to dream about where things are going, where God wants to lead you, where God is leading our church as we look out. And through a year-long process, the elders and the leaders have been thinking about this vision, trying to discern it, and we've been, we've been led to this kind of key passage in Isaiah 54, and I want to bring it back to you. The last couple of weeks, we've been going through this, and we're going to come back to it. This was spoken by God to a people who were living in an outhouse, okay? They were discouraged. They were deflated. They weren't sure. They thought maybe their best days were behind them. They weren't sure where they really were. They had no future vision, and God says, it's time to dare to dream, gets them up in the bucket, and he says, in Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3, hey, listen, no, I'm not done with you, but in, in fact, enlarge the place of your tent. Make plans. You, there's more in store. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Anticipate the joining of others into, into your fellowship. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. And we feel these words are God's words for us. To say, I'm not done with you, mountain. I need you to stretch out. I need you to spread the tent flat because the canopy of my blessing is meant to bless many people. And I want to use you to do it. But you're going to have to drive some stakes in deep. You're going to have to get stronger to do it. So lengthen those cords, but dare to dream. And so, did you catch those words in there? Stretch, strengthen, and spread. Did you catch those? 
Let's come back to those. Stretch, strengthen, and spread. Because of this deep love that we have for the region and our, and our desire to see God's kingdom come, uh, this is kind of what, what, what that verse says to us, is, is that it's time to stretch, not just tent flaps, but our faith and our hearts and our hands to connect with more people than ever who need the love and the light and the hope of Jesus. Luke talked about that last week. And then to strengthen our body, that's us, that's the church as a whole, and each one of us individually as we move more to the core. I'll tell you what that means in a minute. So that we can spread God's blessing by expanding our impact. And and if you can imagine it, just like Rosedale, Rising Sun, Wilmington, Washington, just kind of spreading up and down that 95 corridor. Those aren't necessarily exact locations as much as they are sort of saying it's time to just say, let's share what God has given us. And that's kind of this vision that's been driving us, that we think is the new look from up in the bucket. Stretch is about, we talked last week about our, our hearts being able to love more like God's so that we'll invite and welcome and reach people who aren't even like us or far from us so we can truly be a church for people who don't go to church. So we can truly be a place for people who hate church. Stretch out of our comfort zones and say, who is God calling me to love in a special way? Today I want to talk with us a little bit about strengthen a little more. Because God needs a strong church. And that means he needs a strong you. We're going to drive those stakes in deep where we don't just begin our life and say, well, I'm finally coming around to where I, I, I recognize God is faithful. You hang around a little bit. God wants to know, okay, I get that, but now can I say that you're faithful? There's the difference. That's, that's what it looks like when you start to grow, is that we become more faithful to God, not just His faithfulness to us. One of my life verses is 1 Corinthians 15. 58. I love this verse. I love every word about it, but I want to focus on the first part. Here's what it says, and it's maybe, maybe a good word for a lot of us. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. Like when you're, when you're little and you stand in the surf, it just throws you all over. You can't stand up. To get bigger, you can stand firm, plant your feet in the sand and the waters. And so we need some believers like that, who every time you face a temptation or a trial, you don't buck and run. Every time you face a little discouragement or a little defeat, you don't sort of quit. You don't blame God. You don't run away. Every time there's a little pain, a little pressure, a little problem or persecution in your life, every time there's a little distraction in your life, you're still going to stand firm. You're not going to waver. You're not going to wiggle. You're not going to wobble. You're not going to collapse. You're going to stand firm in your faith. I'm praying for a strong church like that. Some believers who will stand firm. Let me tell you why this matters so much. It matters that we strengthen because we can't do the stretching until we strengthen. Strengthening requires people who are on mission, who care, who see people without God and want to do something about it, whose lives are caught up in the purpose of Christ. You can't do that until your stakes are in deep. So we've got to to go deep because... We can't stretch until we strengthen. Does that make sense? And by the way, that word deep gets thrown around a lot. And I hear people sometimes say they want to go deep. And people who say it most of the time, I'll just be honest with you, most of the time they completely miss the point and don't know what they're talking about. Deep means you're becoming more like Jesus. That's all it means. 
You become more like Jesus. And by the way, Jesus came for people far from him. And he associated with people that were really messy and far from him. So going deep doesn't mean, if, if your version of deep means you go away from people, you're not, you're not doing it right. Going, being stronger in your faith or moving toward maturity isn't so that you can feel good about where you are with Jesus or feel super close to Jesus, have some new spiritual insight about the Bible you never had before, or so that you can say that my soul is fed. Those things are, are, are not ends in themselves. They're means to an end. So we have this skewed idea of maturity in American churches today. Like it's some kind of elevated knowledge. Like maturity is some kind of inner journey of the soul. If your version of growing up, if you think what it means is you go on some kind of inward place away from lost people into the cloistered halls of the church, hang around with other people who also think they're maturing because you all sit around and talk about the Bible with each other, all the while forgetting the reason that God sent his son is so that he could call some people out, a church, an assembly who could kick down some outhouse doors and storm the gates of hell to do the work of his mission that he came for in the first place. Maturity isn't about your story, it's about his glory. Tweet that one. Mature people don't just hang out with Jesus, they look like Jesus. And Jesus, nobody cared more for lost people than Jesus. And so you see how the stretch and the strengthen have to go together. The reason we strengthen is so that we can stretch. And so let's talk about this. We need a stronger church. We need a stronger church because we can't do what we're called to do until we are. God's called us to try to reach 12,000 people by 2024, and six campuses, and to have new church plants that we help launch, and new ministries, and new small groups, and all kinds of whatever he calls us to do, to dare to dream that way. What, is a, what does a strong church look like? Let me give you a little equation that might help us kind of think about that. Um, time to go back to algebra. All right, X plus Y equals Z. That's kind of the equation, the sort of mystery equation for what it looks like to have a strong church. And that's what this Z represents, is the strong church. This is a healthy, strong, Z is the goal. Z is the sort of absolutely fully functioning, redemptive, potential reaching, powerful, strong church that's making an impact, filled with radical, bold, dangerous, world-crashing, door-kicking Christ-following, strong-body Christians, all right? That's the goal. How do we get there? Well, what's X? X is sort of leaders. And leaders are important, and a lot of times people think, well, that's the most important thing. That if we just got, you know, it's, it's based on a model sometimes that, you know, the, the, the pastors or the pastor or the staff is sort of the key here. And in fact, a lot of churches are built on the model that the pastor does everything. I used to serve at a church like that where, they thought, you know, it's like where the pastor showed up and he mowed the lawn, opened the doors, turned on the lights, set up the chairs, preached the sermon, led the singing, you know, locked up afterwards and called on the sick during the week, led the study and everything else because that's what we're paying you to do. The only problem with that is when we begin to think that way, we've got to add more X. Well, that takes money and takes time, and we've got to fire the last preacher because he wasn't that good and get a different one in here and all that. And the other problem is it doesn't actually work. We can't release anybody to really grow and reach people. And by the way, it's not biblical. So that's why that's not really the answer. The answer isn't do X better. So what's left? Why? What's Why? Yeah, 
Why is us? Why is the church? Why is all of us together? Why is, why is Jesus saying, I'm going to build my church and they're going to be able to kick down some doors. The gates of hell won't prevail against it when all of us are unleashed, when all of us are driving our stakes in, when all of us are turned loose on mission together. That's the vision Ephesians 4 puts it this way. Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about this very thing. Here's what he says, verses 11 to 13 in Ephesians chapter 4. Christ gave some leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors. Okay, yes, he gave leaders. Why, though, did he give the X? Why? To equip his people for works of service. Not to do the works of service. The pastors are here simply to sort of equip and release and empower everyone to be on mission. Why? So that the body of Christ can be built up. Well, then what happens? Then we'll all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We'll get strong. We'll grow up. We will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You'll look more like Jesus when we come together in unity around equipping, building up, and reaching out. We need a stronger church. And friends, what that means is we need a stronger you. So I want you to take this as personally as you can as well. Take to heart verses like Colossians 2 as your personal charter. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, which says, so then just as you received Christ, some of you have received Christ. Remember that moment where you made a decision. You, you moved forward and you said yes to Christ. Some of, the, some of you have done that. But he says, don't stop. That wasn't the goal, sort of get saved and then sit and soak and sour. No, continue to live your lives in Him. Rooted, roots go down and they continue to draw nutrients. Why? So you can be built up in Him and strengthened in the faith. It's time to get stronger. There's a passage in Hebrews you can read in Hebrews chapter 5 that says where, where the writer there is talking and he says, you need to stop acting like a baby. You need to move on past milk to spiritual food. To something deeper. Babies are cute when they're born. Everybody cuddles over. But if in seven years later they're still acting like a baby, it ain't so cute. And there's some people spiritually who do that. Something's wrong at that point. The passage in, in Hebrews says you should be leading others. You should be pouring into others and thinking outside. But you're still saying, feed me, feed me. When people tell me, feed me, you're just, you think you're commenting on the church or something, but you're commenting on yourself. We need a spiritually stronger you. Let me clarify and encourage you a little bit. Three quick points on this growing thing. Number one, to be strong or mature or growing, okay, when we say drive the stakes in, it means more than knowing a bunch of stuff about the Bible. Now, this is encouraging because some of you don't know very much about the Bible, and it's a question mark for some of you who've devoted your life to it. But can I just, growing is more than knowing, the Bible actually says knowledge can puff up, but you know what builds up? The Bible says love. Love's what builds up. So we're not saying that learning is bad or that study is bad. Not at all. The opposite's true. It's good. But just don't confuse learning and growing, learning with growing in maturity. Because knowing stuff can make you feel smart. Guess what? The demons are smart. Okay, Pharisees are smart. 
All right, there's lots of people who are really smart who don't look anything like Jesus. So it's loving like Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, 1. This is what Paul is trying to talk about. He says, he's addressing a bunch of questions to a church like ours, and he says, next is your question about eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. Now, that's not a problem we have, but it's an example of how Christians are always, they always have lots of questions, wants to debate things. And so he says, on this question, everyone feels that only his answer is the right one. Boy, things haven't changed much, right? But although being a know-it-all makes us feel important, what's really needed to build the church is what? Love. You want to grow up? Love others like Jesus. Everybody can do that. Second, being strong, being mature, or growing means a lot more than just knowing about Jesus. Knowing about Jesus. It's... It's, in fact, truly knowing Jesus. There's a difference, isn't there, between knowing about him and answering a test and getting a bunch of stuff right and knowing the stories and actually having a relationship where you know him, like the real you and the real him. Paul, the apostle, had all these amazing credentials and things in life that everybody was giving him accolades for. He says, I would trade all that in. He did trade it in. Look at, look at Philippians 3.10. I gave up all that inferior stuff, stuff that most people give their life for. He says, I, it's inferior. Why? So I could know Christ personally and experience that resurrection door-kicking power in my life. I'd give anything for that. That's what it looks like. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40 takes us a bit further and again talks about Scripture. Jesus is saying, you study the Scriptures diligently, and that is a good thing, okay? But he says, you're doing it because you think that in them, in the Bible somehow, you're going to find eternal life. No, no, these Scriptures are the ones that testify about me. The point of the Bible is to get you to look at me, yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. Friends, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I've given my life to studying the Scriptures. I've done it my whole life. I went to four years of Christian college to study the Bible. I went to five years of graduate school, a bunch of doctoral studies. My father was a Christian professor of New Testament studies. My grandfather before him did the exact same thing. All right, I, 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 I think it's so important. But, so don't misunderstand. But friends, you can dig deep in the Bible and miss Jesus completely. You can love the Bible and miss its message. You can savor the scriptures and skip the Savior. Having exhaustive knowledge of the Bible doesn't automatically lead anybody to intimacy or obedience or loving like Jesus or being kind like Jesus. So Jesus never criticized anyone for studying the Bible. In fact, that's what I would often tell people. Start there. Start reading the Bible. But his greatest criticism was for those who read the scriptures and thought somehow that equated with maturity because it does not you want to be strong you want to grow up I, I started by saying love others like jesus i would say this second love jesus like no other put him first in your life and develop a relationship with him because there's a big difference between knowing jesus and knowing about him and third being strong mature and growing doesn't focus on information okay it focuses on transformation. The goal isn't to get more into your head. The goal is to say, how can who I am from the inside out be actually changed? Not just some behavior modification on the outside where I do a bunch of all the, the good things and check all my Christian boxes, but you actually being changed. That's, that's what it means. 
Let Jesus change you. So those are three things I'd say that everybody can do. Let love others like Jesus loved. And then love Jesus like no other. And then let Jesus change you. That's how you grow. And, 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 and that's God's goal for everyone. No matter who you are. No matter where you are. Whether you're an antagonistic atheist. Whether you're a, you know, someone who who maybe is just an inquisitive, indifferent, agnostic, or whether you're sort of a curious seeker, or someone who's a brand new Christian who's kind of fresh but a little clueless but excited, or someone who's been growing a little while, or someone who's now a leader and mature and reproducing yourself. It doesn't matter who you are. It's the same things. You love others like Jesus. You, you, you love Jesus like no other, and you let Jesus change you. You don't have to be a scholar or a perfect uh, SAT score or high IQ to do that. You just, you just have to be able... It's not how big your brain, it's how open your heart. And, and you don't have to have been in church your whole life. You just got to be willing to give Him your whole life. What's left of it? You don't have to have a perfect past. You just got to be willing to let him redeem your past and point you in your future. And so there's some questions that I call kind of powerful discipleship questions that I've learned to be using in my life. And I'll get, I want to give them to you. I've given them to you before, but you can use these every day. In the morning as you begin, as the, at the end, as you close your day, as you're driving to work or at the end of a Bible study, as you open the scriptures, as you pray, as you meet with your small group, these are always great questions. Here they are. It's the question a person asks when you want to say, I want to drive my stakes in deep and grow. You start by saying, what's Jesus saying to me? Because I promise you, he's talking to you. He's going to do it through his word. He's going to do it through his church. He's probably doing it right now. Got to slow down enough to get an answer to that question. What's Jesus saying to you? And then the second question is just as important. It comes with it. It says, what are you going to do about it? Because really at the end, that's all growth is, is learning to respond to the voice of God and trust and obey. Trust and obey. Wherever you are on the continuum of faith, from an antagonistic atheist to a sort of indifferent agnostic, to a curious seeker, to a brand new baby, to a sort of growing disciple, to a reproducing, mature follower. Wherever you are, everyone's welcome. Jesus cares about everyone along that continuum. And the important thing is not where you are right now as much as are you moving? Are you moving in the right direction? And this is what we mean when we use the phrase in our new vision, more to the core. More to the core. Let me tell you, let me show you what I'm talking about. Draw you another picture. More to the core. At the center of every church is Jesus, right? That's him. That's what it's all about. We're all driving to that. that, that that's, that's what matters most. He's the hub. He's the core. He's everything. And out, you know, those close to him who, who have been walking with him, who are signed on as disciples, we can call the committed. The, the, these, are, these are the folk that, that, that they typically, you can see it in their life. They're people who are committed to loving God, loving people, 
serving the world. They're, they're generous with their time and their money and they're, they're leading, they're, they're involved, they're serving, they're, they're kicking some doors down here and there. There's another group outside of that that would say, yeah, you know, Mountain's my home. Um, that's where I go, but their gathering with us might be less frequent and less committed. They, they may or may not be in a group. They, they, they may or may not be serving, probably not. Um, they, they may not be as generous with their time, their talents, their treasures, and their heart about what God is really doing in through this place. And that's another part of this church. And there's another, there's another whole, I'm not even going to draw another circle, but all the rest out here we would just call the community. And, that, and, and every church kind of has that sort of makeup. And that's normal and natural and good. Here's the goal. Is that everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you past, wherever you are today, it's not important so much as where you are. The question is which direction are you moving? And God's desire is that everybody, wherever you are, is moving more to the core. We want to move more to the core, who is Jesus. So, are you moving in that direction? Are you growing? Are you becoming a stronger believer? Dare to dream. Are you moving toward Jesus? Because you're either moving toward Jesus or you're moving away from him. There's no stuck. If you think you're stuck or stagnant, you're moving away from him. Because he's moving. You've got to keep up with him. It's a lifelong journey. That's why he says, follow me. He doesn't say, come and sit with me. He says, follow me. So, are you moving toward Jesus? Let me give you three questions that will kind of help you maybe just figure out what you want to do next. Number one, where are you right now? As you think about this, where are you right now? Are you out here, haven't stepped across the line of faith? Or maybe you're part of, honestly, part of the crowd. You're here, you say, this is my church, but you know there's more for you that God has in mind. Or you're part of the committed and you're ready for that next step. Where are you right now? You've got to be honest about that. Next question would be, where are you going? What direction are you moving? Because direction is so, so important. All of us kind of meet at the foot of the cross. Think about the people who met at the foot of Jesus' cross. Uh, for example, there were Pharisees there. They had such a wealth of knowledge of the scriptures. They were only feet away from Jesus. And yet their hearts were a million miles away, spiritually speaking. They were moving in the wrong direction. And yet there was a man right next to Jesus hanging on a cross who was a criminal. He was a derelict. He was a loser. He was a scoundrel. You wouldn't want him dating your daughter. But he cried out to Jesus. And because of Jesus' grace and his desire... Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. His direction was the right one. And so here you are standing at the cross, and every one of us has a decision to make about our direction toward Jesus. Where are you now? What direction are you moving? And what's your next step? What's your next step to keep going in, in the direction toward Jesus? For some of you that might be, you know, we keep talking about welcome to mountain. Come to welcome to mountain. That's a great first step for a lot of people. For some of you, you need to talk to someone about your faith and figure out what your next step is. We have friends every week at the end of the service if you don't know anybody. 
Some of you need to get baptized as a way of birthing your new life in Christ. Some of you need to begin to serve or to begin to get back into a life group that you haven't been in for a while. Connect with some believers so you can grow. Some of you are in a rooted group, and I, I think it's great. And keep growing. Next, some of you need to know when we talk about rooted, next time we do it, you need to sign on and say, I'm going to do that rooted thing because it's going to help you. Some of you need to be leading a group. Some of you need to take a step of faith and go on a trip. Some of you need to start pouring and developing into others instead of saying, feed me, feed me. Some of you need to continue to study and have more fruit of the Spirit start being developed in your life. We need to spend time with the people that are going to build us up instead of tear us down and get time in the Word. Maybe you're going to journal your prayers. Maybe you're going to listen to more Christian music, sign up for the men's retreat. I don't know. It's not my job to sort of spell it out for you, but I hope you will take one step. God will honor that. And he'll lead you forward. Because we need a stronger church. God's hoping that'll mean a stronger you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for inviting us on a journey. Thank you for not calling us to some sort of dead religion, but for calling us into a relationship that fills us with joy when we get to kick down doors that lead to Lead so many captives free. Make us strong. Make your church strong so that the vision that you have for the world can come true and use us toward that end, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.